Hello, and welcome to the IBCD Karen Discipleship Podcast. We are on site at Mission Hills Church in San Marcos, California for our 2017 Institute, and we're excited today to have with us Ed Welch, who is one of our keynote speakers for our conference on addictions. And Ed is a counselor and faculty member at CCEF. And Ed, thanks so much for joining us for this conference. Yeah, thanks, Craig. It's good to be with you. I was wondering, how many years have you done this? You know? Jim can probably better answer that than I can as far as the... Than the conference? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Started in the early 80s. Has it really? Yeah. For about the first 20-something, we had Jay Adams every year. Mm. And then everybody else we could bring in from the biblical counseling movement. This is great. I'm looking forward to it. You, you, you're experts at this at this point. So <laughs> kind of third generation now. Right. Yeah. So it's it's great to have to look forward to every uh, summer that we have this conference and people come and it's a lot like a family reunion. And especially now that Jim and Caroline are out of town on the East Coast, it's great bringing them back mm-hmm. and others. Bring yeah. George back every year. Yep. He's been gone 10 years now. Since 2006. Yeah. yeah. So it's neat to be yeah. able to get. Nice to be part of that. Thanks. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and how you came into biblical counseling overall? See if I can remember. It's been it's been so long. I I, I work at CCEF outside Philadelphia, and I've been there since 1981. So I feel like I should be much wiser than I am, having having been doing these things for that long. My job description at CCF has been fairly similar for for the years. It's through the years, it's largely teaching and counseling, uh, and whenever I can, try to squeeze in some writing um, and phone calls and emails and things like that. So it's been I I couldn't imagine a better job to to consider how does the how does this ancient text come alive in our present struggles? To have that as my job description for for thirty five odd years, and to and to have this is, I've always found this strange. I have people who come to me for counseling uh, as a pastor. Sometimes they come to you, but but typically we go to other people uh, and understand what's in their life. So it's I've always found that to be an odd thing that people would would simply come to me. Sometimes not even knowing who I am. Yet at the same time, I'm honored by that and and to to have an opportunity to see the Spirit working in the details of people's lives. Is it's just invigorating. Excuse me for rambling on this, but I, I was thinking, I was thinking the other day about pastoral burnout uh, and pastoral stress, which is a perennial topic, of course, and there can be all kinds of different reasons for it. But, but I know my own ministry in, in counseling is, it, you know, it, it's hard. You hear, you, you hear very, very difficult things from so many people, yet at the same time, to to be able to pray for them, to to see the Spirit on the move in their lives is just utterly invigorating to to be able to observe that. And and it's it it, it, it I find that it's it's it brings life rather than rather than saps it. So I'm very grateful for what I've been able to do. I how did I come at it? I um, came. I grew up in a Christian home, a great Christian home, but was not really interested in following Christ. John Murray has this this very fine book called Redemption Accomplished and Applied, which captures some of my own experience, where he talks about how there are three different stages in a sense to faith. One is let me. Make, I want to make sure I get this right. One is you 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 have the facts of 
Jesus Christ. You have to know, you have to know who Jesus was. The second is you believe that those facts are true. And the third is that you, you trust in the one uh, who, who has portrayed these facts to you. And, and I would say that, that throughout most of my life, I, I believed the facts were true. I believe that Jesus was the Messiah. I believe that, that he came to conquer death. Uh, but I didn't want to follow him. So I, 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 so when I read Murray, I realized that's that's where I was. I was in sort of stage two and not in stage three. When I went to stage stage three, it was it was largely through yeah, probably fairly typical in some ways. It was the end of the my time in university. It was looking at life ahead of me and. And and, and, and and things seeming to have a little less meaning than I anticipated, a little less purpose, a little less depth, if you will. And, and um, I think between that and the scripture beginning to, well, I, I was reading the scripture, so I was drawn to, some, uh, to truth in some way. And over the course of probably a few months, I found myself confessing sin and and coming to Christ. As a result of that, I decided I wanted to go to seminary. I was essentially young in the faith, but at the same time, it's, here, here's what the Bible does, uh, and it changes people, and I wanted to study it more. And I wasn't necessarily thinking about a career in ministry. I didn't know what a career in ministry really was. I was just thinking about it. Whatever I was going to do, I wanted Scripture to be a, a more solid foundation. Went to seminary, and and it was just a pig in mud. Just every single course was, uh, it just, uh, it was, uh, it was this delicious delight. And and then the second year uh, was was a counseling course. And it was actually ob- observing counseling being done at CCF, and it it just it just sort of took me. It it was suited to me. I think I probably, I do, I, not probably, I enjoy speaking with people individually, probably more than I, I enjoy speaking publicly. And so I think that that individual face-to-face ministry suited me. And I ended up, for some reason, taking a detour into graduate school for a few years and, and came back to CCF after that. It's interesting. I think when we talk to people about counseling or diving in and and walking with people through the struggles of life, some people hear that and think, wow, walking into all these problems and darkness and difficulty, as you were describing it, what's coming out is, but you get a front row seat to seeing God work. And it sounds like that's prominently on your mind when you think about it. And how have you seen the Lord work through his word as you've been engaged in people's lives like that? Yeah, yeah. You're actually raising a couple different things. One is people raise these these complex stories and situations that that rightly should be overwhelming, and and none of them have these simple sort of here do this and everything will be better. Not that any problem has has that as as an answer, but but that simple turn from knowing a person to Okay, how can we pray? Given, given what you're saying, how can we pray? Uh, that's that's where certainly I find great encouragement. That essentially I'm introducing there is a place, there's a person to whom we can turn with this, and we might not even know what he says at this point, but we know to whom to turn, and and Lord teach us to pray and. So that's that's the part that I find utterly invigorating. Um, 
Your your question was what am I what have I observed recently in people's lives? So is that yeah, that's what you're yeah. asking? Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a great question. Well, I'll just give you a little slice of a slice of it. Um, and it might seem like a I'll, I'll choose the more rare slice because I think women tend to ask for counsel a little bit more than men, and I think there are probably lots of reasons for that. Uh, women are. I think I think more open for various reasons to to say life is hard and I need help. Men tend not to do that. So let me introduce you to the slice of life with men, uh, because because I've just had the opportunity to speak to more men recently. A an angry man who who like like all angry men, he the the more angry you are the more right you are persuaded you are. So in other words, the, the angrier you are, the more the more blind you are to your own anger. And that certainly fit this particular fellow. He was, he was utterly blind to his own anger, had no idea the devastation this was creating in his wife's life. And I think we're talking about anger in, in husbands, even at this conference, correct? I think your wife, Jim, is talking about that. Is that, is yes. that what I saw? I think that's one of Caroline's topics, hopefully not from recent personal experience. Yes. <laughs> so, so yeah, this is a great introduction to whatever Caroline's going to say. But, but I, I think it was, I think what captured him was the simple observation that Jesus Christ, though he was angry many times in, through the New Testament stories, he was never angry when it was done against him. He was angry on behalf of others. He was angry on the money changer, I assume. He was angry on behalf of the Gentiles who were coming to, to worship. And, and the money changers were set up in the court of the Gentiles. And it was a little tough to worship when you have all this commotion going on. It was anger on behalf of others. He was angry on behalf of the children who were kept from him. But, but when he was tested, when he was reviled, when he was so thoroughly dishonored, disrespected by so many people, you never get a hint of anger. And, and that, the spirit, just that particular insight where there was, there's, essentially there's zero tolerance for, for, our, for our anger when it's done against us, uh, that, that captured him and has set him on a course. Of, of repentance and peace and and in unity with his wife. I, I could say I talk of other men, but he's 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 one I've I've especially enjoyed. So. I'd like to have a follow up question, Ed, because I think sometimes ordinary counselors like ourselves, and we think, well, this is the guy that's written all the books. He's at CCEF, so probably all of his cases at least go as well as you just described. But I would guess that there might be some cases that don't go as well. And how do you handle that? That's a nasty question, Jim. (laughs) You said his questions were nice, and now mine is nasty. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I I, um, have a drawer that I lock that has has a lot of files in it from people that I've seen. And and I, I, I do different things with with that file cabinet. One is sometimes I'll call people. If I have, I have a few extra minutes, people I haven't seen for a couple of years, I call just to see just to see what's happened. And and uh, and and more often than not you you see him who began this good work has continued it. Um, uh, yet at the same time there are 
lot of files there where people I've, I've, I've seen once or twice and, and, and didn't come back or people I saw for a longer period of time and, and they didn't go back. And it becomes, becomes an opportunity to pray for, frankly, lots of people. Um, I couldn't give you percentages of, of how that goes, but, but certainly... And I should say, in my particular counseling, there's there's two different ways I do counseling. One is in the context of my church, where it's pursuing people, it's having them over for a meal, it's getting together for coffee, it's getting together before church or after church. The other the other counseling is is actual more professional. People are paying, and you would think when people are paying to come, they would be fairly eager to to really do something, and and they're coming to a Christian counseling center. But um, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, so it's you know going back to what I said before about how there's probably not a day that goes by without me being encouraged, encouraged by seeing the spirit and move in somebody's life. There's probably not a day that goes by with without me being being weighed down by 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 a person who who is. It was unmoved by the truth of Christ, um, and and um, and persists typically in a habit of blaming everybody else around them. And I'm really thankful you've said that. I think a lot of our listeners would get the idea that I've got this counseling, and I'm sure if Ed Welsh were counseling this person in one session, they'd be all better. Or if I could just get them to the right counselor, that somehow. They know so much. The guys at CCEF or these people yeah. who have all the training and have written the books, they can work the magic and anybody could be changed. But that's not how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah there are times where, where a person's situation might be, might be very complicated and, and somebody who has experience with that can, can find doors available that, that people with less experience might not be able to see. So those things do occasionally happen. But here's, you know, I'll, I'll give you two answers to, to, to what you're identifying. One is that, that the Lord is pleased to use really ordinary ministry to do his, his work in people's lives. And, and uh, what I often find is if for some reason that ordinary ministry has not been effective in somebody's life, I will not be effective either. So That's exactly what one of our counselors has said a few times, that if their local church has tried doing basically the right thing. They may look at us as a counseling center as being the experts, but if it hasn't worked, same way you said, you said it very well, in the ordinary ministry, then bringing in some so-called expert often won't change anything. Yeah. Because um, the spirit has to work. Ed, we're so thankful for your writings, and that's at IBCD, um, the writings that come from CCF, and a lot of the things you've written in particular are really helpful, and we're able to turn to those both for training and then also helping people walk through those resources, and so we're really thankful for that. One of the things you've written that pertains to this conference, Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave, um, I was just wondering how the writing of that came about a little bit, and if you can just tell our listeners some about that book in particular. Mm. How to come about it, it? It came about because I was seeing a lot of people who were struggling with addictions, and and I wanted to be able to help a little bit better than I did. Uh, it it came about um, now. This this goes back many years ago, but but seeing 
is simple teaching on idolatry that goes throughout Scripture and making it available to the topic of addictions. Uh, um, came about by, and, here, and here's, here's, here's one of the ways I, I think I've really appreciated seeing the nature of, of idolatry, uh, this, this phrase, voluntary slavery. It, 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 it's, it, 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 it shows Scripture's sophistication in understanding uh, addictions where it's voluntary. We do it because we want it. We, we love it. We love it more than life itself. But it's also this abject slavery, and it's, it's controlling us and, and telling us what to do, even if we want to get out of it. Scripture has, brings both of those things to, to the struggle of addiction. So that's, it, it came because I had friends. I wanted, to, I wanted to try to help. In some ways, I would say the book on shame, which, which is a more recent book, um, is, is it, it doesn't exclusively have addictions in view. But as I, was, as I was writing that book, certainly brothers and sisters I know who struggle with an addiction, all of a sudden I realized this was so critical for, for them as well. And books on fear and anger and and everything else that can be become interwoven with with our our addictions. I'm really looking forward to your first talk tonight. Every addict lives with shame. It yeah. sounds like it's um, really bringing together um, shame interrupted and along those thinkings. Can you tell us a little bit about where you'll be going in regards to the shame, how shame ties in with addiction? I would, I would hope that. Any book we write two years later or one year later, we would we would write it differently, uh, uh, and at least add some things, accent things more than others. And if I were to write a book on addictions today, I would certainly include a larger section on how do we how do we turn to Christ in the midst of pain and suffering, how do we turn to Christ in the midst of victimization, and and where do we go when we feel like we're covered in in shame. So, so I, it becomes a long book, granted, but, 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 but those topics, I think, are so critical for people who struggle with addictions. What I'll be talking about with shame is, is essentially that, that I have never encountered an addict where shame wasn't palpable. It, 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 was, it was visceral to them. They, they, they didn't have to look for it. They felt it, and, and, and what would be some other words for shame? They they felt that they were simply not acceptable. They did they 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 had done things, or they had things done to them that somehow separates them and makes them makes them worse than the rest of the world. Uh, and and I, I, here's. I'll give you a sort of a representative story of shame, uh, a person who, who has gone through rejection. Everybody has gone through rejection, granted, but, but some rejections are more significant than others. And, and to have, have, have a parent who perhaps is involved in his or her own addiction and, and completely ignores his or her children, to have gone through a divorce at a certain age and have one parent disappear and really really not be engaged in your life. To have that kind of rejection and that kind of pain is going to be this visceral sort of phenomena that it always is with you and you feel like you got to do something with it. And then that, that first time you get drunk, it, 
it did something. You you were able to to jet. It seemed like you jettisoned. At least at least you're able to avoid it for for a period of time. Or the woman who has been sexually violated. Um, I, I find that that so often people who have committed themselves to certain substances, they it it. it they have a history of having been treated shamefully and and the substance ends up doing lots of different duties in their lives but certainly one of them is it it's an occasion just to alleviate the pain of that kind of victimization and then of course once they once they practice their addiction then they then they experience shame not because simply of what's been what's happened to them but then they've done things they've betrayed people they've they've stolen from people that they love they've 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 lied to people they've given promises and haven't come in th- come through on their promises uh, they've they've done things when they've been drunk or high that that they remember enough to know that it was bad stuff and it's hurt other people. So, so there's that shame compounding. And what do you do when shame compounds? Well, all you can do is go back to the, to the one thing that seemed to alleviate it temporarily. So, that, so, so you can see how shame is, is so much a part of an addict's story. Um, and if, 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 what it, if the hope that we're offering is an opportunity to be surprised by, by this God who invites. An addict who's struggling with shame, they, they don't want to turn to Christ because, 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 they've, because of all the things they've done. They, they don't want to somehow be exposed before Jesus. They don't want to be known before him. And so the very one who, who is their, it was their only hope, the only place they can go with their shame is, is the one they feel like they have to avoid. Because because of the what they feel like to be the despicable things in their own lives, so our task is how can we how can we ask somebody to to listen to a story that is it's different than anything they could possibly imagine, and and to to begin to go through Scripture with them, the God who who comes to enemies, the God who who seems to have a preference. For the outcast and the rejected, and and the one who would be considered to be despicable, uh, to 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 give those stories to people to pray through them with another person until they're actually persuaded that indeed he is he is one who invites them and they can go toward him. So, excuse me for going long on that, but uh, the uh, what am I saying? I'm saying that that um, I. I can't remember the last. I I talk about shame with every person who struggles with an addiction. So you've been involved in biblical counseling since 1981, I think you said. Was that more or less? Yeah, that's when I started yeah. at CCF. Okay. Yeah, um, that that's quite an amount of time to be involved and, and see things grow and change. And I'm just curious, from your perspective, what you're excited about in biblical counseling? What challenges you see? in the biblical counseling world, movement, whatever that can be referred to as, but some of your perspective of the things you've seen and um, what you're seeing, hoping is going to continue to happen going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, what I'm excited about is that there is, there's so much more leadership and, and, and maybe I'll put it this way. There are, you, you have this organization here, you have uh, ACBC, you have CCEF, you have lots of, lots of, uh, lots of acronyms lots around of here. Acronyms. Yeah. Uh, lots of initials, uh, and and that's just that's just three. There, there, 
there, there are all these really fine biblical counseling organizations that, that, are, that are cropping up. So for me, that is very exciting to, to see that. And, and, and uh, I, I especially appreciate how they're, in a sense, they're cropping up independently. They're, it's, it's instead of having this federal government that owns it all, there are all these states and they're flourishing. So, so I, I've really appreciated that, that, that I think it comes from a church who, who, is, who is looking for, for help uh, uh, in, their, in their pastoral care. And, and so the sheer amount of, of, of people who are doing biblical counseling uh, and the organizations that are, are leading the charge, that's very exciting to me. The, the other side, what needs to be done I, I'm a, I'm a glass half full kind of guy by, I, I think by nature and, 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 uh, you know, you try to make your nature work for you. So, <laughs> so, uh, so I like being a glass half full guy. Uh, I cover the other half of that glass. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and so maybe I'll speak personally. What, what do I need to do? What do I hope we all can do? I hope we can, I mean, you know, ministry consists essentially of these two parts of knowing a person and knowing scripture. And I think historically we tend to know scripture fairly well, but sometimes we go quickly over knowing the person. And and I would like I would like there to be this generation after generation of material that when when people read it, they say, That's me. <laughs> that person has, has described my very experience better than I could have described it myself. This person knows me. Uh, I, I, would, I would like us to do that. Um, I would like us to have stories and case studies of people that are, that are, that are vivid and, and three-dimensional and, and shows the, everything, the really good things in a person's life and the hard things and the bad things all in one sort of composite mess. Uh, so... So for us as a group to, 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 for people to go away say, that not only did that person know me, but they know me in a way that I've never been known. Be- they, they, they know me in depths where I haven't been known before. That's one. Um, I guess the second is, and this is certainly one of the things I see in biblical counseling, is that we continue to reach broadly we 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 live in an era where where there are new problems there are variations on old problems granted but but new problems emerge and how can we how can we be prepared for them how can we speak well to them um, uh, from 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 cutting to Asperger's and autism uh, to, to to violent children uh, and, and there, I think it's important for us to, to have, uh, have as much experience as possible where we didn't just see one violent kid. We've seen 10 violent kids. We didn't just see one autistic child, but we know 10 autistic families. You know, there's something about that, that experience that, 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 um, that brings humility on one hand because we realize we don't know the answers, but at the same time, we have some idea of what has been helpful for for individual people and families. So I would say those those two things would be two things uh, that that the, the movement can grow into have a depth 
of understanding the people and communicate that, but also have these sort of farther reaches to, to continue to extend boundaries and, 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 and move into every modern problem there is and speak, speak persuasively to those. One of the things you mentioned is the, the various um, organizations, the various um, groups speaking to these things. And on the one hand, that's exciting to see what the Lord is doing. The downside of that can be not to be glass half empty, but we can... Oh, please. Yeah. <laughs> to bring the, but uh, we can not know what the other groups are saying or speak past each other, or there can be disunity as more groups develop or things like that. Are there things that you have in mind that can help us all continue to work well together as we're seeking to help people or things mm, you're asking the wrong person for that in some sense I I don't I don't think I do that very well myself in part because I get immersed in a project and I'm busy and and I I, I have plenty to do in front of me but but what I've seen happen within biblical counseling is well here's here, here's one thing. I uh, I'm at an IBCD seminar and or a conference and and I work at CCF. Well, you, you guys have graciously invited me to come, and and having come means Craig, I get to know you a little bit better. I get to know some of your people a little bit better. Here are some of the things that are happening here. So it for me that's that's just plain invaluable. There's something about knowing someone and seeing meeting them face to face and spending time in in, in on their trip turf, which, which you just feel like you know somebody better. And, and I do see that happening throughout biblical counseling, where there's people are being invited to each other's conferences, and, and that, that makes a huge difference. I, so it's happening. Um, I, 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 feel like, I feel like a sluggard there, in part because I don't put on the conferences and don't decide who's going to come. So I, I, but I, I so appreciate how, how there is much more face-to-face -face contact with people from different organizations. And I guess interpreting some of the lack of face-to-face -face contact sometimes is just exactly what you're saying. Being so focused on just seeking to help people, not wanting not to talk to each other, but we're all yeah. just pouring into the various things yeah. we are. Mm -hmm. Interpreting that in the most charitable way possible goes, yep. goes mm -hmm. a really long way as well. So. Well, you say you like to be buried in your projects. So do you have another project on which you're working? The one I just finished, I... Uh, this 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 man I mentioned who struggled with anger it actually comes out of a the, probably the last ten years I think probably around ten years ago I I was I was talking with I had a few angry men that I was speaking with and they were all going bad all going bad and I began to consider have I ever seen an angry man change and I couldn't remember a person who really specialized in anger having really changed and I began to ask my colleagues have you ever seen an angry man change and they sort of chuckled but then I said no it, it, Get a face in mind. Can you identify somebody? Don't just give me a theory, a hypothetical. Yeah, scripture can change anybody through the spirit, uh, and and it just really set me off. I think to to Lord teach me how to speak to angry men. So what what came out of that was a book of I think fifty different devotional kinds of things, assuming that angry men are not going to read a whole lot. Uh, and it's really easy. It's looking in the mirror and you forget who you were as soon as you go away. So, so I've, I've written 50 devotionals for angry men on anger. So it's just, just something to remind you every day. So, so I've done that. That was good fun. 
the the project I'm I'm working on right now is is I'm finishing up a book. This is not going to sound very exciting. It's it's essentially asking the question, who are we? And the scripture has various answers to that. But the the answer that I'm pursuing is we are a royal priesthood, and and that that priestly that priestly motif, that priestly calling in scripture such a precious one because it's the priests who were close to the Lord. They, they, were the, they were the ones who were invited into the farther reaches of the temple. So when you talk about communion uh, and, and, and being living in the very house of God, a priest is very much in view. And, and I've, I've, I found that to be very personally very profitable. For example, to recognize that growth and obedience is not some version of try harder and stoicism. It it serves the purpose of, of communion in the same way that obedience to the rules of marriage they serve the communion serve communion and closeness in my relationship with my wife. Similarly, growing in obedience to Christ, it's it's not obedience for obedience' sake. It's obedience that that serves the purpose of communion and and progressive nearness to the Lord. So that's just one of the themes that comes out of the priestly the, the priesthood. And that's what I'm working on now. Thanks for asking that. I've really appreciated how the Lord has used you in your ministry. I, When you describe what you think the movement needs to do, where somebody would hear you or read what you wrote and say, that's me, because that's been my experience and the experience of people whom I've counseled when they've read what you've written, where I remember especially with the addictions book and with when people are big and God is small, or I would assign that to people that said, that's me. You understand how the addict feels. You understand how the person who's idolizing approval or people, not just on the theoretical level, and I'm sure that it flows out of the counseling where you've been with these people and so is the temptations we face we have in common, but coming out of that, you can bring the scripture to bear very effectively. No, it's kind of you to say, it's very encouraging. Um, I, I see the glass half empty, more than half full. Uh, so I see all kinds of room to grow in that, uh, but, but thanks, thanks, Jim. Well, Ed, we're so thankful for you coming to speak at our conference. We're really looking forward to the talks that you're going to be doing and then just getting down to sit down and and talk with you some more. We're so thankful, too, for the ministry of CCF, the, the resources you have, the training you have. So we'll have links to those things in our show notes as well. And so thanks so much for coming out here. And we're really looking forward to getting to know you a little yeah, bit better. Pleasure. Thanks so much, Craig. And finally, for our listeners, I just wanted to mention that by the time these episodes are airing, all of the audios from the conference will be available for free on our website, the pre-conference, workshops, everything, and videos from the general sessions as well, all available at ibcd.org. That's ibcd.org.